1: What's going on already? Welcome back to the It's Always Draft Season podcast for the Packernet Podcast Network. Jake Javink here with you guys on this fine Monday. What a nice preseason week. One, we had lots of rookies making debuts. Some had some rocky starts, some bad interceptions. You know, obviously dominated the headlines from the quarterbacks. But, you know, we're really not focused on, on the current rookies here necessarily, at least in this show. I'm sure we'll be talking about them uh, during the season. We'll throw out maybe some rookie rankings at some point on the show. But we're focused on next year's rookies. If you remember last week's show, we went through a six-pack of prospects on the offensive side of the football for the 2024 NFL Draft. We're going to stay on the offensive side of the ball for this show. There will be a couple, I think, this week as well added on on the defensive side of things. Maybe we'll mix and match a little bit depending on kind of what direction I go with some of the positions uh, leading up to the previews in a couple weeks as well. We're going to stay on the offensive side. we got eight guys actually this week, uh, a couple receivers, three running backs we're going to take a look at, and then three tackles as well. We talked about Olufashanu last week. I figured let's get three more on the board and kind of talk about them because I do think, you know, maybe maybe not, but we'll see. I mean, it, it seems like for the Packers, you know, just to kind of divert, obviously, to the network's focus here, the tackles seem to be playing very well, and it looks like there's potentially uh, some pretty good depth there. We'll see. Uh, it's hard to know, um, right? It, you know, obviously, depth can be really good against other depth, right? We're talking about twos and threes against twos and threes. It looks pretty good. Hard to gauge that a little bit when you're talking about you know twos and threes against you know starters uh, in the rest of the league. So. That's something that you know is worth monitoring, but we're going to cover tackles just in case. You know, obviously, with Bakhtiari, we've kind of talked about that at length, and, and what maybe his, how he'll kind of finish uh, his ten- tenure in Green Bay. It could be this season, and heck, it could be mid-season. Right? We don't know yet. Uh, so, without further ado, let's start this off here. Let's go right to receiver. Um, again, one of my favorite positions to look at just because I feel like there's so much to talk about at those positions at least from my view there's just a lot more I see we'll go Xavier Worthy actually from Texas we're going to start there a player that you know probably at you know when you look at the size I believe he's 5'9 166 which again not very big right when you talk about that kind of size you often Look to players like, you know, Tutu Atwell, Tank Dell, right? Guys like that who come in very diminutive in stature and often phase out because they just don't have the frame to kind of handle things in the league against big, strong corners, often, you know, limited to the slot, limited to a situational deep threat or gadget player. But Xavier Worthy, I don't think necessarily should. Deserve that um, designation to this point. uh, In 2021, he had 62 catches for 981 yards, 12 touchdowns. 2022, 59 catches, 757 yards, and 8 touchdowns. You definitely saw some drop-offs. So 2021, he had a 79.2 grade, 80.3 receiving grade, and an 80.8 drop grade. 2022, he dropped to a 69.8. Grade a 70.1 receiving grade and a 60.3 drop grade. You see 8.5 yards after the catch per reception down to 5.5 from 21 to 22. You also see 2.61 yards per route run drop to 1.91 yards per route run in 2022. Now, in 2022, also 17.6 yards average depth of target caught five of 13 in contested catches pretty good for 166 pound guy and he actually had over 70 percent of his snaps out wide in both seasons so he's playing out wide and he's obviously against you know it, it's hard to measure and really put a a number on you know competitive you know com- just how competitive and how talented the guys he's going up against are relative to the sec the big 10 etc i feel like though we look at it from a qualitative standpoint and say yeah it's it's a little bit lower in terms of competition out there which i think is fair to note in the evaluation for me what i've seen is right until we get to the hold on we got one more thing to talk about in terms of just numbers and stats here, that would be receiving depth. 85.6 grade, 20 plus yards down the field in 2022. 92.6 in the intermediate area and an, 80%, and an 80 grade in the short area. He was over 95 in his grades, deep and intermediate, in 2021. Intermediate grades being high is something I think that you would look at for... A lot of the high end receivers because what they're running, right? The outs, the ins, the dig routes, in routes, whatever you want to call them, and the comeback routes, two of the hardest ones to create separation on the dig and the comeback are in the intermediate area of the field. If you're winning there, you're often, you know, a pretty strong route running receiver. You are often, you know, a, a receiver that kind of garners the X title, but, you know, flankers, Zs have often gotten a lot better in this area we'll be probably talking about another one here shortly so again i think the numbers favor worthy a pretty good deal other than i think the drops not very good uh in 2022 other than that when i look at worthy what do i see for one everything feels like a vertical route and that's always a good thing uh treat everything like a vertical route until it isn't i like that a lot about a worthy and i think when you look at a player for 59166 who has long strides, good acceleration, he can win vertically. The speed he has is sustained on the field once he's got you stacked, he's going to keep keep it that way unless the ball's underthrown. But he's also the route technician. I think his pacing and release variance is very good. I think you see really twitchy um, the release variance. He he gets into a good speed release where he's not really worried about a lot of other things, but he does keep that tempo and pacing. Changing, even on run plays, just to keep defensive backs a little bit honest. And I think you see him really understand, you know, leverage stepping. And he's really good at setting up his routes throughout the stem. But you see, again, a variety of routes as well on film. In routes, comebacks, digs, whip routes. Very exceptional in that area. Um, He, again, sinks his hips really well. Uh, he, He really gears down at the break point and really accelerates out of that break he's he's got combative hands and i know we're going to talk about the size at the end with weaknesses but he he stays combative in terms of hand fighting throughout the stem that's something that's important and it needs to be well timed you know you can fight but if you're not well timed you get thrown off the route and the disruption there um, can threaten the entire play depending on you know which number read he is Obviously, Wicked Twitch post-catch, he's going to set up Defenders in Space, make a miss, violent cuts, and that that goes for the routes and the release as well. I like guys who cut violently uh, and can stay creative. You're looking at the Garrett Wilsons, you're looking at the Stefan Diggs types of the world where I know that being in rhythm and being no-nonsense is, is crucial, but also like violent cutters and and guys who can displace themselves in, in really tight areas, it matters, you can you can you can kind of work that type of route running into the rhythm of an offense very easily. And I, I think people sometimes overlook that a little bit when they go, oh, they're very frenetic as a route runner. That's not always the case for guys who are, you know, well adapted with their release and violent cutters. That's not always the same thing. I think Worthy falls more into the category of the Wilsons and the Diggs of the world. He's got rocker and pressure steps. I've seen those on film. The pressure steps really help in sometimes turning defenders, get them flipping their hips the wrong direction. Then you're in the blind spot, and then you've, you've snapped a route off and they've long gone down the field or they had to take a step back. You know, a lot of guys pressure step to open up over the middle of the field. That's something Worthy does really well as well. He tracks the ball pretty well. And yeah, I think when you look at him, this is a very strong Z receiver. Uh, but what Obviously, the issues, right, the stature makes route disruption both early and at break points an issue, especially if, you know, he's facing guys who are longer, right, bigger guys, you know, the Gardeners, the Sertans of the world where once they have hands-on, when you don't have that length and that size at the position, it can get very difficult, and you're kind of stymied, and, and you're kind of basically at their mercy in the route at times, and that's not a great position to be. The one other issue I think with Worthy, body catching. It's all over the place. He doesn't have good hand technique. He lets it into his frame. Now, it's not a death sentence. We know this, right? Terry McLaurin has somehow found a way to have exceptional timing when the ball hits his body, and he's made it work. But more often than not, you're going to get into bad habits when you body catch. The timing can be off, and here you have some more drops, which definitely happened in 2022 for Xavier Worthy. However. I like him a lot. I think there's there's a high probability that we see the bounce back season from him. And I do think that he will kind of start to climb up boards. I think he'll be still probably in that fringe first, early second type of range. Just because of the size. And I don't think he's Devonte Smith. I don't. Uh, but I do think he's extremely talented and deserves to be you know, in that top five, top seven conversation. I would put him in the top five at this point. Uh, even projecting. So I, I really liked what I saw from Xavier Worthy, and I'm, I'm excited to see if we can bounce back. Quinn Ewers might be playing the full year. I don't know. I heard a report today about Arch Manning maybe unseating him. Arch Manning does just does not generate a lot of velocity on his throws, but that's neither here nor there. We're not talking about that. Um, we're not talking about Quinn Ewers just yet. But Worthy, I was a pretty big fan of his. So let's go over to another wide receiver I think embodies a lot of what people like at the position, a uh, less frenetic player. Um, I put down smooth and brimming with burst, and that's the type of player that this guy is. Stop me if you've heard this before. We have two wide receivers from Ohio State who are highly regarded. He's been talked about, obviously, a ton the last three months already. Amika Ibuka from Ohio State. Really got his first chance to start, obviously, this past season. Right, you have... Wilson and Olave there with Smith and Jigba for 2021. Finally, Ibuka gets you know a starting role. He had you know was really efficient in terms of the metrics when he got on the field uh, in 2021. But again, not a big enough sample size. We got that sample size in 2022, and the numbers are tremendous. We are looking at 74 catches, 1151 yards, 10 touchdowns. For Ibuka in 2022, an 82.9 grade, 83.7 receiving, 76 drop grade, 86 fumble grade. Uh, When you look at other parts of the numbers here, 10.2 average depth of target, that's a strong number there for sure. 9 of 17 uh, in contested catch situations, that's pretty darn good there for Ibuka. He is, I believe like 6162205 so he's not the tallest but still built pretty well at the receiver position didn't include that that is my bad Um, but yeah I think you know when you look at the route depth 72.5 grade deep down the field 99.1 grade in the intermediate area we like that in the intermediate area there 92 grade in the short area then you look at some of the other things here 7.1 Uh, yards after the catch per reception I believe he had it it was like 10 in 2021 in the short sample size and then 2.98 yards per route run now those routes run for Ibuka were definitely in the slot 67 percent of the time and that's obviously important right you look at okay well who's who's making things happen on the outside and who's doing most of their work in the slot? We had to, you know, we chatted a lot about this. I think with this past draft class, you know, just so many staying slot receivers who, you know, were really probably going to be confined there for the most part. Smith and Jigba, I think, was one who, you know, a lot of people thought could kick outside and be a Z. Addison was obviously out there a ton at USC. You know, guys like Downs and Hyatt were often better suited for the slot. I think Hyatt could kick out, though. We talked about that a lot, but we're we're on Ibuka right now. So, with Ibuka, I think the biggest thing, I hope we don't tag him as a slot-only guy, is even if, even if, folks, he spends a lot of time there this season. There, there is a reason for that, and we're going to talk about it. Um, he plays there because he has added value as a blocker. Because when Ohio State and his 11 personnel, they can trust him to motion into the line and add value as a blocker whether it be helping out the tight end with a combo block on the defensive end or he needs to take the linebacker out of play, he needs to take the safety out of play. Wide receiver screens, he was heavily involved in the blocking part of that. They often had him block more than they gave him the ball. They still gave him his due on those bubble screens, but he was often a willing and effective blocker in those situations. And again, he adds value as a blocker in the run game, which is crucial to that offense at Ohio State and it will probably happen again this year, especially, again, they've got two guys coming back and a first-year starter at quarterback, whoever that may be, probably going to be Kyle McCord. I think with him, another guy who's just a strong technician as a route runner, pretty much no-nonsense guy off the release. He gets into the split quickly. You know, He can do the jab step, one-step release. He doesn't do a lot of two-step releases. He, he's more of the, you know, I'm getting in there and, and not wasting a lot of time. Again, when you talk about the burst and acceleration, it's there. He can win deep down the field. He's just got a lot of the same things that Chris Olave has, and I'll talk about why that is. Right? The route technician, I think he is great hip sync. I think the zone feel is the biggest thing to me. He obviously has great hands, good speed and acceleration. I think the route tree speaks for itself. You know, running digs, comebacks, running the you know, the sit routes, running over the middle of the field. Right, he has great speed through those deep overs where he's got to run on, on that curvilinear track. I know I say that a lot, but it's just true. Uh, it's it's a term that we got to get more familiar with when talking about you know athletic tools in general and just how players move. He's just really effective there, but again, the zone feel matters. Ask Chris Olave this season how much it does in terms of the route runner, in terms of being asked to do a lot in an offense. Because so many times, you know, Olave's running these deep curls against zone coverage, and he keeps things tight in the route break, and he works back to the ball. And and that is so much of Olave's rookie film because, again, he knows, okay, the corner's playing up. He's playing deep down the field. He's not allowing stuff down the field. That's his assignment. I'm going to stay tight to my break. I'm working back to the ball, and I've got all the position in the world. As long as I break towards you know, open space, then I'm going to keep getting the ball, and, and keep getting the ball he certainly did. So that's why Ibuka, I think, reminds me so much of Olave. is that the feel for zone coverage, the feel of, okay, this is where I need to sit down, and then working back to the ball effectively. Right. He's, he's making that effort to get back there. And, and that's where I think a lot of people are like, man, this guy's just you know waiting to be a number one on an offense where he can explode. A lot of people making the Justin Jefferson comps. I don't think he's quite there in terms of route manipulation at the top of his stem or anything like that. But that doesn't mean he can't get there. I think he's got all the potential in the world to do that. Uh, well-timed hand usage, hand usage as well. I, I think you see him doing a great job chopping. You know, when guys are trying to contact him once he's firmly in the route, especially vertically, you know, he's well-timed to say, okay, I'm still on this track. I'm maintaining my speed. You're not going to disrupt my route. So the real weakness, I think, is contact early and often, uh, how he handles that. I just think he's been in the slot so much that, you know, when he faces it, he just doesn't have the allotted reps that he needs for that. But I, I really think... Amika Buka is an exceptional prospect and very worthy of where he's going in mock drafts right now. He's right after Marvin Harrison for me. Harrison's on another level, but Ibuka would be on, on the same level as a lot of prospects the last few seasons. He's just that good. Okay, let's move on here. We're going to go to a couple tackles here and then we might take a break after that, but we'll go to J.C. Latham first from Alabama. Tackle 66 6, Big big dude. Uh 875 snaps last year, 874 of them were at right tackle. Overall, the grades, when you look at 2021, he had a 75 grade, 77.9 run blocking, 53.4 pass blocking. We have made strides in one facet of that game. He ups himself just a little bit higher, 50 or 75.7 grade in 2022, 70. run block, 84.6 pass blocking, pretty strong across the board. There are 12 pressures allowed in 486 opportunities. He did have um, his best game against Texas. His worst game was against LSU. He had seven games with a pass blocking grade above 80, six of those above 85. Those games above 85, Texas Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Tennessee, and Mississippi State. J.C. Lightham, uh, he's making the move over to left tackle. It's going to be interesting to see how he handles that. I think overall, though, you're looking at a a really exceptional player here. There's a little bit of consistency lacking uh, in terms of the run blocking and, and really overall how he played but was as, as really as good a pass blocker as, as there was maybe not named Olufishanu last season. Just I think overall, I think you see him generate a ton of good ex- extension as a pass blocker. He's he's in tight a lot um, with his hands to maintain leverage. I think his, his real strength is the kick slide. He's really effective uh, with that kick slide. He's into that really quickly out of his stance. His kick slide's really strong, and, and he really maintains control with that inside arm very often to prevent the inside move, but also make sure that nobody's beating him around the arc. Vertical set's really good. Um, the initial strike, you know, he's got active and strong hands. The initial strike can help his feet catch up a little bit at times when he's redirecting. I think that's something you definitely see. And I think, again, when, when he can recover, that's that's huge for him. Um, yeah, good inside hand for inside moves. yeah, theres there's really a lot to like with Latham. I think the one th- the few things that concern me a little bit again, he's a pile driver in the run game when he maintains balance, but he needs to maintain balance. He gets out over his skis a little bit. That's where trouble occurs. I, I think you see that in the run game and the pass game there are just times where he's extending right. he's got good extension but his head's out a little too far. He's getting push-pulled or, you know, he's just losing balance entirely. That's just the, the, the vibes of that are very Evan Neal-like at times. And, you know, go back to last um, last season with uh, Paris Johnson did that a little bit too. Broderick Jones did that a decent bit as well. It's just something you have to be able to correct. Stay more, you know, balanced and centered with his weight distribution. That's something to watch for for sure. I think overall he's looking for work, though he's doing good there. Um, you know, again, combo climb we talked about that. You know, some displacement that he generates, but I think overall it's just cleaning up the little stuff. I mentioned the penalties, got to clean up the false starts, but I think overall you're looking at length, power, explosion, redirectability, tremendous kick slide, good technique into his sets. Like all of that is is truly there for a player like JC Latham. He's moving over to the left, like I said. It's going to be interesting to see how he handles things on the left side. He really hasn't, I don't believe, has played over there at all. So that's, again, something to to watch for. Looking back to 2021 here. Yeah, and just right guard more in 2021. 135 is 140. We're at right guard. Five of those were at right tackle. So he's been on the right side. Now we're moving over to the left. Got a new young quarterback there for Alabama this season. So I think a lot's going to be on him to lead that offense and the offensive line. He's going to have to set a tone. I'm really excited to see how that goes for him. Another year of the gauntlet of the SEC should be a good time to watch J.C. Latham. Let's move over now to a tackle who I think, you know, he might be in a show later. We talk about this could be the riser, folks. I think we need to prepare ourselves for that. He's now following in the footsteps of guys like Andrew Thomas and Broderick Jones. We look at Amarius Mims, 6'7", 330, looks every bit of that. When he is out there substituting in for Warren McClendon at right tackle, it's very evident. 383 snaps at right tackle this past season for Amarius Mims. They got him in. With plenty of reps, that's really good on their part. You know, they they lose both McClendon and uh Broderick Jones to the draft. But again, when they're blowing teams out, right, George had a phenomenal year. They're getting him in there for reps when when they can, and that's good for him. And it wasn't even necessarily just at the end of the game. It'd be like three series with McClendon, then they'd get Mims out there for a series or two. Then it'd be three more for McClendon and they get Mims out there. So I think they did a good job handling the workload for him and getting him out there to prepare for 2023, which is not often something you see. Four pressures and 184 opportunities. and a 73.5 grade in 2021 in very, very limited um, game activity. That's fine, though. Uh, I, it, 83, 38. So, yeah, I mean, 120 snaps. In 2021, had to do that math on the fly there, have his stuff up uh, just to double-check all these things. But 77.5 grade last year, 73.2 run block, and an 80 pass-blocking grade. That's pretty good uh, when you look at that. He had five games where he was above 80 as a pass-blocker and nine games above a 76. Very strong numbers there. Those games he was above 80. LSU, Ohio State, Vanderbilt, Oregon, Auburn. So you're kind of looking at you know the best competition. Uh, his TCU game wasn't graded very well. I want to get to that game. I didn't get to it, but I got to several others, and there's plenty to talk about. I think with with Amarius Mims, um, his best game, in my opinion, as well, and this and the film backs it up, is Ohio State. His worst was actually against Kent State in terms of the grading. I'm not really concerned about the Kent State game. I may take a peek at it. I'm more concerned about tcu in the championship game that's a team you know that's top of the line you know maybe the kent state game just a couple mishaps there gave up pressure in that game but would be interesting maybe to see that as well but you know we we looked at we looked at oregon we looked at auburn we looked at missouri a little bit we looked at a little bit of florida then we looked down the line at lsu and ohio state so we got to a few games here Obviously, you know it's it's a lot of tools. That's a lot of the strengths, quote unquote, with Marius Smith. He's got elite size, great strength in the run game. Uh, he's he's a true displacer, and he's a, he's a dangerous guy to be handling in space. Um, he he has enough raw power to easily absorb any bull rush that comes his way. I actually think he's got strong vertical sets and a good reach for a blocker in the run game. Like the quicks and and athleticism and agility and short spaces are there. I wouldn't call him a great linear athlete in terms of pulling necessarily in terms of leading the charge in space. But when he does hit you in space, you're in trouble. Uh, the space blocking is, is fine at best, I think. But you know, when you look at the athleticism fat flashes to redirect, right. And carry guys around the arc or have to redirect back inside. He's doing that very well. Um, there was a, a game against LSU. The game against LSU, a rep, he pancaked a guy twice uh, on the same play. Um, he's good at gaining and maintaining control as a blocker. Um, and again, I think, you know, you could... The linear athlete stuff is is causing him to maybe overrun some things because he, he feels like he has to get up to speed. But I think in space, he's fine when he stays controlled. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away from his space blocking. But uh, a few things to work on for him... Hand placement is, is is still a struggle. He's got really wide hands, and he's winning because he has you know, so much size to his game and enough, like I said, raw power to handle the bull rush. His hands can't be ver- that as wide as they were uh, this past season and, and handle things in the NFL. It just won't work. Um, the shuffling to mirror can sometimes get clunky if he's really fully turned himself vertical, trying to reset and drop that foot maybe creates a little bit for him. But when he's square and at 45, the, the shuffling isn't as big of a deal. But I think the biggest thing is just more reps, and I think this'll pick up, but but pressure pickup and improving his vision in terms of picking up stunts or seeing who's coming, who's not, that recognition, those processing skills, I think we'll only get better with more reps. But again, I think some just some technique things to clean up for sure with him, but the high ceiling is definitely there. And that's why, again, he is being regarded this highly because of how strong the tools are and again georgia is is sort of becoming this offensive line factory and they're getting a ton of obviously high recruits with kirby smart right and so we, we're going to talk about cedric van pran at some point as well but again georgia is just churning these guys out right um jamari Sawyer, another guy you know who came out in in, in 2022 and has played snaps for the chargers so there, there's so much there. George is going to have a couple of them every year. Marius Mims is definitely one to watch. We will take a quick break here at this point, and then we'll get to the final four guys of this show.
0: We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones About seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arena slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. Ten percent off a four hundred dollar slab pack. That's forty bucks right there. Anyways, that's arena club.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All
1: right, guys, back here on it's always draft season four prospects left to go on this episode. Obviously, three of them are going to be running backs, so that's always fun uh, to look at. We're going to start with Braylon Allen from Wisconsin, 622 Uh Had some pretty—he's been pretty consistent over two seasons, I would say. Uh, Twenty-five hundred yards on the ground and twenty-three touchdowns in two seasons. And you'd think, oh, is that evenly distributed? It's pretty darn close. He had uh, twelve fifty-eight as a freshman and twelve forty-two last season. So. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, It's the touchdowns were 11 and 12, I think. So that might be wrong, but I feel like I remember that being correct as well. So it's been pretty evenly split. He's been really consistent. When you look at the grades, it, it pretty much matches up. He had an 80.9 overall grade and an 81 rushing grade in 21, 80.2, and 81 on the dot again in 2022. The fumbling got a lot better. I think he had four or five fumbles in 2021 just one this past season that's a big development for him uh, caught 13 passes for 104 yards 2.92 yards after contact per attempt 40.3 percent breakaway percentage uh and for reference Blake Corum had a 40.9 so they're pretty on par in terms of breakaway percentages 52 first downs Uh, 137 to 90 um, favors the gap running plays over the zone running plays. So more familiar and got more reps with gap runs. And then uh, when you look at yards per attempt, it dropped a little bit from six to 5.4. And then he had, uh, in terms of rushing direction, middle right off the center, he had 10.1 yards per attempt. So that's interesting. A good between-the-tackles runner, so not not overly surprising, but the elusiveness rating. This is the one to watch for. Remember, Blake Corum was upper 90s. Jameer Gibbs was upper 90s. Bijans was at like 160-something. Roshans was 198. Braylon Allen's elusive rating is 64.8, and I have make-you-miss question mark in the notes. That is very prevalent on film with Braylon Allen. Let's get to the good first, though. I will say there is a ton of good, and we're going to get to all of that. Now, in the notes, obviously great size for the position. I mean, when you're pushing 240 as a running back, that's wild. Uh, You know, he's, I would say, nearly as big as Dalton Kincaid, which is pretty crazy to think about. His contact balance is very, very good. You see him run behind the pads. He drops the shoulders at contact. He's always fighting for extra yardage. But I will say, as powerful and as big as he is, He has, I think, the best vision and feel of anyone in the class. I think maybe Blake Corum is up there with him. I think he's just a quick processor. He's understanding gaps, patience mixed with good tempo. Again, understanding how quick the blocking is forming and when to attack. That's good route tempo. You have to mirror your patience with vision, with processing capabilities, and then committing to uh to your gap, committing to where you're going. That's what Braylon Allen does at a high level. He's smooth, I think, as a runner. He's got the easy speed down the field. His breakaway rate is pretty good. That acceleration is there. Uh when the when the when the big lane arrives, he takes it and he is going to rip off a big one. The cuts are pretty quick and efficient in terms of when he's pressing line of scrimmage to bounce out or when he's cutting into a gap. But he just doesn't have that, you know, ridiculous twitch in open space to make guys miss. Um, Like I said, yeah, bounce out ability is really good. He's got really good hands as a receiver. He caught a one handed pass this past year, saw that one. And he's got good flashes and pass protection. So I think it's all there with Braylon Allen, except for that ridiculous twitch, you know, kind of make you miss stuff in space that we've often seen with a lot of effective runners. But when you're talking early downs, make big plays, you know take care of business, do the right thing in terms of finding your gap, processing what's happening in front of you, zone or gap scheme, doesn't matter. Allen does it at a high level. But again, you know, in a world, this NFL of living in space, asking guys to catch the football, be effective route running receivers, just Allen's not going to be that. Now, can he be a reliable check down option? Absolutely. He will catch the football and he'll do his best to run through contact and pick up extra yardage. Again, it's all there with Braylon Allen. I think he's going to be my running back one. I've gone through, you know, six or seven of the top guys at this point. I just don't think anybody's other than Cornham is going to threaten Braylon Allen to this point. But again, it's it's a make you miss type of league. Can you do it on your own? When everything's blocked and they're asking you to make one guy miss, can you do it? That's often, you know, the sign of a running back who's going to be successful. Can Braylon Allen do that at a higher level? That's going to be really the question mark, I think, for him. Otherwise, everything else that I've seen, I I, I just really like. He well times his stiff arm in space. He's not necessarily seeking out contact, but he can he can get through it and bounce off guys. Yeah, I think it's just I I think it's really just quality across the board, except for elusiveness, and that's going to matter. I don't think he's going to necessarily be a first round pick, but you're looking at really. Pretty highly on day two. I think you'll see Braylon Allen get selected if all goes well with another consistent season. Let's move on to another running back here, Raheem Sanders from Arkansas, nicknamed Rocket Sanders, 6'2, 237. Again, another big back. You know, that's that's big. That's that's linebacker tight end big. Linebacker, why tight end big. Traditional downhill linebacker. No, we're not quite getting there. Uh he's not as big as like Jack Campbell or anything, but in the hybrid, you know. NFL that we've kind of gotten ourselves into he's he's kind of in line with some of these these linebackers in terms of size 224 carries 1466 yards 10 touchdowns in what was a definite breakout season for him had like a little over 560 570 uh, in 2021 so didn't get a chance to really break out obviously six and a half yards per attempt 83 grade on offense 87.4 rushing grade 3.14 yards after contact per attempt. 47.6% breakaway percentage. That's higher than Quorum and Allen. Uh, 68 first downs, 41 runs of 10 plus. Had 27 catches for 248 yards. Had 184 zone runs to 35 gap runs. Uh, It looks like they're missing about five runs. I guess they didn't know. Uh, he was over 7 yards per carry off of the left end, which is outside the tight end if there was one lined up on that side, outside the left tackle, and middle right, which is right of the center. So, again, pretty strong in those areas and a 93.8 elusive rating. Not quite as high as as, as Blake Corum's, but much higher than that of Braylon Allen. Raheem Sanders, uh, not a ton of notes here, but... When you look at him, he's a bruiser with game-breaking speed. He's a, a one-cut-and-go, impressive cuts. I think he stays elusive in space, definitely. Uh, and again, I, I want to preface this because I really haven't talked about it. I don't look at the numbers and grades until the film is done. Uh, if they don't match up, oh, well, I'll put it in my notes and, and maybe P- PFF stuff doesn't agree. That's fine. Uh, but, yeah, I saw one-cut-and-go. Um, he definitely stays elusive in space. he's he's nimble between the tackles. I think he's a pretty effective runner and he should be between the tackles. Um, does he there are times where he's just kind of bullying forward and just kind of, oh, yeah, I'll just stick behind my my big guys on the offensive line and there's a little bit of hot and cold vision mixed with hot and cold patience and tempo. I think that's a little bit of a struggle, but seeks out contact. But he does get nimble and skinny when the when the spaces and the gaps tighten a little bit. I like to see that he's reducing surface area. And making it more difficult even than it already is at 237 for guys to tackle him. Obviously, the game-breaking speed is there. He can rip off the big, long runs. He did that definitely this past season. And he's tough to bring down in space when you mix that type of elusiveness with that type of power. So it's there. As long as his tempo and feel gets better between the tackles, uh, and, and maybe, again, you get him into a scheme where he's one cut and go, and he can read the backside of zone stuff, that's totally fine. Or you give him this gap, you f- say, follow this, he can do that. I think that's you know something he will be very good at for sure. I think he's pretty well-rounded. Pass pro isn't very good. He's not going to be a world beater as a receiver necessarily. I think Braylon Allen, I would give him the edge a little bit as a receiver. But Sanders, another strong back who should be going early to midday too. And can definitely be the early down bruiser and, and breakaway type of player. That, that, that speed and explosiveness and elusiveness combined with with that bruising size is impressive. And you're, you're looking at two really strong backs, in my opinion, in Allen and Raheem Sanders there for you guys. So there you go, two running backs. Let's get to the last two on the list here. For you guys we are going to go to a tackle first here we've talked about three of them it would be silly of me not to mention Notre Dame's Joe Alt 6'8 315 pounds obviously a junior most of these guys are juniors um, except for I believe the last guy we're going to talk about Worthy's these junior Buka's a junior Latham's a junior Mims is as well and the two running backs are definitely, yeah. So everybody's with junior except for this last guy that we'll talk about. So should have put that in there. But a 91.4 offensive grade for Joe Alt this past season, a 91 run blocking grade and 81.7 pass blocking grade. So the pass blocking grade a little bit lower than some of the guys we've talked about already. Uh, 481 snaps as a run blocker, 406 as a pass blocker, just eight pressures allowed in 2022 and just one penalty. So I think two things. I, the one one nickname I came up with, um, one nickname I really like that Dane Brugler mentioned, obviously Dane Brugler, really, I think the name in the NFL draft, in my opinion, um, I know maybe not the you no know, the big media coverage types, but I think he is the name truthfully. Uh, I came up with Mr. Reliable. I, this is what I see from Joe Alt and and brugler though i think a great term for joe alt is lose slowly and we'll get into why that is the case here with the notes i think when you look at joe alt there's just so much good there's just so much good and steady and reliable about his game when you look at the run blocking he's a displacer uh you know they they ask him to do a lot of combo blocks he definitely can can drive guys out, and he gets into a position where he's going to drive and displace and create some gaps and give big holes to running backs, and that's that's a big deal. Uh, you know, he can climb when necessary. You know, the quicks are pretty strong. He's got good footwork and good movement skills. He never looks, let's say, clunky. It is just really not. He you really will never mistake him for that when you're watching him uh let's see where else can i look for as a run blocker he got good reach blocking ability the quicks are there to to seal from the backside side of the front side both of those you can see that for sure um i think as a pass blocker when you look at joe alt you see the quicks popping out of his stance you see him stay square with his shoulders and the feet he's in phenomenal body position in the pre-contact phase when getting into his set and the 45 degree sets are never super wide he's not giving it the inside away to guys that's not really something that that you'll see from him Um, even when he's handling guys who are out wide uh, his hands are in tight they're ready to punch He's, he's in a great position and his his initial strike is always with good leverage you know, we talked about this with Fashano. We talked about this last year with Skoronsky. When, when he is ready to attack and when he's ready to receive contact, that contact phase, his hands are going to be in tight and they're going to be under the armpits. And then you don't get to say that about everybody, right? We talked about Mims a little bit. Latham doesn't always do it. It's a little bit of a mixed bag. With Fashano and Alt. I think you see them in tight, you know, 90 95% of the time. There is a little bit that concerns me with Joe Alt, and this is where that lose slowly I think comes uh, into play there's just a lot of times where he's hanging on and, and what I mean by that is I sustained power is a struggle for him it's a struggle for him against a lot of edge rushers you look at his his worst game uh, from last season his two worst games even if you look at them and this is something I think to note uh, his two worst games Uh, graded were USC and Ohio state would say that those are two of the bigger teams on the schedule. Just saying, and his two worst games as a pass blocker were against Ohio state and South Carolina. Interesting. South Carolina, the only school on the schedule who plays in the sec, you know, just, just some food for thought there. You know, when you look at the schedule again, Do I think Joe Alt is bad? No. I'm just, again, looking at who they're playing and, you know, Marshall, Cal, North Carolina, BYU, Stanford, UNLV, Syracuse, Clemson, which I think you can maybe argue in both directions in terms of how their pass rushers have – they've had guys drafted pretty highly. Have they worked out? Eh, Not a whole lot. Um, Murphy was always a pretty toolsy guy. I think he handled him pretty well. Uh, when matched up last season, though, I will give him credit for that. Murphy's a first-round pick with a lot of potential, tools, athletic, powerful, you know, explosive. So I thought he did very well handling Murphy. Uh, but then they played Navy, Boston College, and then USC and the other USC, South Carolina. USC is a run blocker; it wasn't very good, but as a pass blocker, it was solid. But again, South Carolina has, you know. Often NFL ready dudes on the edge. Ohio State obviously had Zach Harrison and then they've got you know JT and then they've got Jack Sawyer for this season. So, you know, it's just it's I think it's something to monitor with, with Alt. But again, I think when you look at reliability and really good at everything, he is, it's just the sustained power when he's going up against JT, uh, Zach Harrison last year, they really got to him, they pushed him back. And he did lose some of those reps where he was just kind of hanging on. The balance was a little bit off and guys are striking well into his chest. And he just kind of struggled against these really powerful bull rushers. And I think that's something that you're definitely going to want to see from him uh, going forward. But I think, again, as a run blocker, he is really tremendous with both power and quicks. And, again, his height makes him you know, more uh, conducive to giving up this type of thing because he has to work to get lower, to maintain leverage. It's hard to stay low for a guy of that height. Um, So again, that's just something to monitor. I think this year, when you look at Notre Dame's schedule, I just wanted to pull it up. wasn't planning on doing this necessarily, but I want to see who Notre Dame plays this year because I'm interested to see if if they're going to be any sort of top flight matchups for him. So, you know, it's pretty much the same cast of characters. Again, they're going to play Clemson again this season. They are going to play Ohio State again this season. That's probably going to be the one you got to circle on the calendar for the most part. I don't know if there's going to be a whole lot else on the schedule. I haven't dove 100% into a lot of these these edge rushers. They don't play Florida State, so there's no matchup against verse that we're going to be able to see. That stinks a little. So, again, it's a lot of the same stuff. You're going to have to circle Ohio State. You're going to have to circle Clemson. Just look at how Alt performs against those two. But, Again, am I nitpicking on Alt a little bit more than the other three? Probably. And and maybe, you know, I shouldn't do that. But I, I just, there are just, you know, guys aren't giving up as much ground as him. And then that's where I'm maybe a little bit hesitant to say he's got this ability to leap highly and get drafted, you know, top five. But again, another reliable season. Some team may seem that, you know, he is just rock solid and everything. We'll, we'll take the chance on that. to to get better um at a a position of need and i think joe alt again sorry i dogged on him maybe a little too much that's my bad when you look at the other guys like fashano has to get better with being more violent in the run game right he he needs to work on finishing dudes mims has technique stuff to work out and and latham plays a little bit loose as well with technique and and discipline so uh, there i threw three i threw three things everybody's direction I still like Joe Alt a ton. I, he's not going to leave. Like if I'm doing mock drafts, he's never leaving the first round. He's, he's he's way too good to leave the first round. So of the four tackles, though, I'm looking at him a little bit more in terms of projecting forward. I don't see you know a, a ton other than adding that power and pop in his hands. So there we go with Joe Alt. Let's finish up with honestly one of my favorites, uh, just in terms of player in this draft just i thought you know there was a chance we were looking at him last season to declare running back class was a little bit deep i would say last season so instead we get this guy uh for this coming season mayan williams 59226 a senior really impressive stuff here um obviously sharing duties with travion henderson a player we will obviously be talking about soon uh 128 carries last season 825 yards whopping 14 touchdowns had five against rutgers so if you want to take those off a little bit from the rutgers game you can drop that down to 10 if you want to still an impressive season had a pretty quality game against uh notre dame best game was against wisconsin had a good one obviously against toledo But again, built some some strong games and and put it together. 89.3 offensive grade, 91.1 rushing grade, 89.4 fumble grade. Very good. Uh, When you look at some of the other numbers here, obviously 6.4 yards per attempt, 4.36 yards after contact per attempt. Just 209 attempts in three seasons. He's obviously been behind a lot of guys uh, in his tenure. 38.1 breakaway percentage. That's not too far. Um, lower than the other guys, you know. When you look at, I believe Allen and and Corum were both yeah forty point three and and forty point seven. So, you know, he's right on track there. Not not missing a whole lot. 49 first downs, twenty six runs of ten plus, eighty seven carries in zone, forty one in gap, and then the biggie, elusive rating one fifty seven point three, nearly as elusive as Bijan Robinson. Uh, from pff standpoint last season uh, his best rushing direction he had over 7.0 uh, yards per attempt middle right off the center off the right guard and off the left tackle so you know every direction was looking pretty decent uh for mayan williams last season so we look at mayan williams we obviously have to talk about yards after contact he is a bowling ball as a runner it's very evident when you watch him. He's, he's lowering the pads at contact. It's very tough to bring him down. It often takes multiple defenders. He's just bouncing off dudes. He's picking up yards after contact, and he's pretty elusive and pretty quick and agile in short spaces, and, and that also gives him another tool in the toolbox to handle guys in space one-on-one, right, when, he, when he's bouncing stuff out to the outside. There's some burst there and, and the ability to convert on some of these 15, 20-yard runs. So that's, that's all there for sure. I think he presses well to the line of scrimmage. Uh he does tend to bounce runs out. And I think that's, you know, work on the vision, work on the patience between the tackles. That tendency to bounce out runs is nice when you have burst, but he doesn't have exceptional long speed. And I think that's the one thing that I'm worried about with with Mayim Williams is not having that exceptional long speed, right? He's not, you know, a four-four, sub-4-four four guy running on these. He's not always going to win the corner, but he's still bouncing runs out anyway. But again, when he's out there You know, working on, you know, making guys miss or running through dudes, it it often doesn't necessarily matter. Um, pass protection, not terrible. Run blocking is is whatever. Again, he's gonna be doing the running, he's not gonna be doing a lot of run blocking. But I think Williams, when you look at I think the patience, elusiveness, the burst in it in the fifteen to twenty yard range, obviously the, the power, the contact balance. I think you improve the vision a little bit and I think you improve working in zones, you know, finding those gaps, anticipating, working out route tempo. Maybe study a little bit of Braylon Allen film if I were Mayan Williams. I think that's a great place to look, uh, to improve your game. But I think he's somebody who should belong on an NFL field. Am I drafting him super early? Probably not. He's gonna be, you know, the early down bruiser. But I've really liked what I've seen from Mayan Williams. So, you know, again, is he gonna affect the passing game a whole lot? probably not i don't think you're going to see a whole lot from him in that department per se uh caught five passes last season for 27 yards so you know we're not looking at a world beater in terms of his receiving skills but again in terms of breakaway run percentage yards after contact per attempt an elusive rating you're getting a pretty strong back here more more likely than not in the middle rounds so You know, a great option to pick up in your your rushing attack, I think, next season. So really excited to watch him and Henderson um, run in the backfield at Ohio State. That will do it. Eight prospects down. Hopefully, folks, we're going to have multiple shows the rest of the week so we can get to a lot more because there are a lot of guys that I have done that I would like to share thoughts on as we get to the draft. Let me know how you guys like these. Um, let me know a prospect you want to cover at Jake NFL draft on Twitter. Yeah. And keep following the show. Cause we got a lot. To, we're going to get to previews. I think well, depending on what, how far we get. And if we want to keep doing this format, Uh positional previews, we can probably cram into two episodes, maybe do that before the true opening weekend. Cause there aren't a ton of games uh, in that last weekend of August. I know USC is playing, so that's something to to watch for, but I don't see a whole lot of of, of guys necessarily in that first weekend, so maybe the positional previews uh, will come out that next week. But let me know uh, what you want to see, and we will do that. I will get out of here, though. Hope you guys enjoyed, and I will catch you guys hopefully two more times this week. But enjoy your Monday. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the content uh, that the podcast network will have going. See you guys later.